Welcome back to A Fine Time for Healing. I am your show host, Randy Fine. I hope if you're watching this that you are a subscriber to the Randy Fine channel. If you aren't, please subscribe and make sure whether you are or you aren't, please give us that thumbs up for the, for the podcast that you really like. Uh, let us know. You know, it really helps us to know that, um, that you're enjoying it. It gives us feedback. It lets us know what you like, what you don't like. So leave comments too as well. Um, today we're going to be talking about setting boundaries. I know this is such a hot topic for all of you. <laughs> And it's one that people tend to have a lot of questions around. Um, either you have them or if you don't have them, chances are you don't know really what they are and how to set them. So today we're going to cover it from soup to nuts. Um, we have with us Dr. Shana Ali, who is a mental health counselor, educator, and advocate who is passionate about destigmatizing mental health counseling and helping individuals worldwide recognize the importance of fostering mental wellness. She is the author of the Self-Love Workbook, the Self-Love Workbook for Teens, Luna Finds Love Everywhere, a self-love, let's see, what's the next one? A self-love book for kids, the self-love planner, <laughs> so many self-loves, and the one we're going to talk about today, Designing Healthy Boundaries. Dr. Shana is the owner and operator of Integrated Counseling Solutions, LLC, a strengths-based clinical mental health and consulting practice located in Central Florida, my state, yay. <laughs> <laughs> well, hello from Central Florida and welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Randy. I'm really excited to chat about boundaries today. I'm excited for you to chat about them because, <laughs> you know, I talk about boundaries a lot, um, but you really take it apart in this book. And the, you know, this, the Designing Healthy Boundaries book is really an interactive workbook. So not only do you share how to do it, you give reflections so that we can practice doing it. And you really cover a lot of things that people tend to stumble over. So um, let's see, my first question is here somewhere. Okay, so I'm going to let you define for us what a boundary is in terms of our emotions. Sure, absolutely. And it's funny because you think like this is the best place to start. We're going to talk about boundaries today. We should start with the definition. And I'm happy to share that. I also think for everyone who's watching in that it's helpful to think about like, what is the boundary definition you have? Because I've noticed when I'm working with clients and other individuals who are trying to work on their boundaries, sometimes we don't even have the same definition. And if we don't have the same definition of boundaries, I mean, we're off on two different pages to start with right? The most succinct way I will summarize it for today is boundaries are helpful limits that protect us and other people too. You mentioned, you know, let's talk about that in terms of emotions and emotion is one important aspect of wellness that that's an important area that we need boundaries, but we have boundaries in different domains of our well-being, and we all need them no matter 
who we are, you know, race, creed, age, doesn't matter. It's important for all of us, but it does look different for all of us. It does. And I remember we're going back 20 years um, when I sought the help of a psychologist. And the first thing she said to me when she heard my situation was, there's no, you have no boundaries. <laughs> and I looked at her like she was crazy, like, I don't have boundaries. This was not a buzzword 20 years ago. Sure. It was not. And so I'm like, boundaries. Well, I know boundaries as fences and walls and things like that. So what are they? And she had to explain to me what they were. And you know what? It was the core of my pain. It really, really was that there were no boundaries in my family whatsoever. I had not a clue that not only what they were, how I could protect myself with them. So, yeah. yeah. I really appreciate you sharing that and sharing your experience because that's one of the things that drove me to write this book in general. So you were listing out some of the other publications that I have, and you can see that I have an emphasis in self-love and love in general. I see self-love as how we invest in caring for ourselves in order to better care for other people. What you're talking about is one of I think the biggest misunderstandings that we usually hold about boundaries, when most people, when they reflect and catch, I either don't have boundaries or I don't have firm boundaries or I'm confused about boundaries. In that category, many times those folks reflect on, well, because I wasn't raised to have them and perhaps even the opposite. I was raised to love everyone in my family and be super connected. So. I can't have boundaries with people I love because now I'm setting a wall between us, right? right? And the paradigm that the book is written out of is actually let's bend that all the way around and come back to the center is you can build a boundary between you and another person to help you better care for, respect, and love one another, which Sometimes where people are like, that sounds so opposite of how I've thought about boundaries. Exactly, exactly. And those who reject our boundaries or don't want us to set boundaries, there's a reason why they don't want us to set those boundaries. And it's probably not a very good reason. I think, you know, most people would respect it if they know what these are and they have them themselves. But there's a whole lot of situations and we'll go into them. So you start off with... Um, as with the entire boundary design process, perfection is not our goal. I like that. Explain that to everybody. And again, because this is based more in self-love and mental wellness, when we are getting into a new journey and when we realize our heart and mind says we need this, we tend to be so formulaic, follow everything to a T, and we lose sight of who we are in the process and the fluidity. I believe that there's no single boundary that is guaranteed to last you as is for the rest of your life. The truth is things change. We learn and grow. Other people change. Context change. People move. I think about like the pandemic was a great thing of like unexpected things happen, right? So if we are just holding fast, like this is the perfect boundary. I spent so much time. I thought about it. I communicated. And now I'm focused on that. It could become too narrow-minded and we actually defeat the purpose of the underlying boundary to begin with. Right. So really, if we're, instead of thinking about the perfect boundary, it's what's the best boundary to protect me in this moment? 
and ideally can protect other people too, but at least protects me in this moment. And I understand and surrender to the reality that time will change. I might change and learn and grow for the better. And therefore the boundary process has to be a little bit more cyclical that I reflect on. Okay. Now that I tried that, do I know something else that I want to add to this boundary? Do I want to remove something from the boundary even? And I think the the idea of perfection throws people, you know, um, I'm a narcissistic abuse coach and um, expert, and I tell people that um, you're going to make mistakes, you, you're going to do it, you're going to make mistakes. So, and the people who make mistakes are the ones who are the first ones to turn on themselves, mm. right? They're the ones who beat themselves up. And I say, if you make a mistake, it's don't everybody does just pick yourself up dust yourself off and do it again no harm done no harm done you just have to try mm -hmm. and i love that you normalize that because it is just the humanity of mistakes and i think a lot of times when we're new to the boundary process when we create it again our mind and heart we pour so much into it that the idea of someone pushing back on it can make it seem like, well, I messed up with this boundary. This wasn't the best boundary. And you're right. That energy then turns inward into like a criticism, self-blaming judgment cycle that is going to do no helpful. It's not helpful at all. However, if we see it as not every boundary is bound to work, but it's about that assertion process and that fine tuning, that's true boundary design. It's when my boundary is pushed is how do I still stand strong in what I know I need to do to protect myself and reaffirm and advocate for myself too. Right. And I do agree that this aligns perfectly with self-love because if you don't love yourself, then you don't feel the need to protect yourself. Exactly. Right. So it's, it's, it's right in line. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, you say that it's important to seek support because during this process, things can happen. Old wounds can surface, um, traumas can surface. Uh, so what is it about seeking support or how do we seek support if we are getting ready to do this? Mm. And there's a wide variety of support and I'm going to go over a few ones so the listeners can figure out which one seems right for me in any given boundary, right? Because we might need more support for one boundary and not so much for another. If there's a boundary that you've set previously and you think that went well and there's a lot of ease there, then you need at least the support of yourself, right? Don't ever set a boundary willy-nilly just because it worked in one area. You at least need time to stop, reflect, and make sure that's the boundary you want to set. So there's at least that autonomy in support. However, having feedback from loved ones, safe people, non-judgmental people, if you have access to that, then that can be helpful to at least encourage you, not to necessarily give you advice or tell you what to do or anything like that, just to give you a little bit of that boost that you might need of confidence to get through in the process. And if you don't have that in a loved one, there are support groups that you can lean on as well. Then I also think many times people get into the boundary design process and they realize how many walls they're hitting in personally, forget even getting that boundary out interpersonally, all of these personal things is just can't say no, or, you know, I, it just seems rude to do this. And if you're hitting into those obstacles, that's a really good sign that you 
could benefit from professional help. So finding a licensed professional counselor or therapist in your area would be a really helpful route at that juncture. Right. I agree. What is the difference between a boundary and a wall? Because often when we don't have boundaries, we do have walls. And another thing <clears throat> that my therapist said to me, <clears throat> she said, Randy, you have walls, but they're either all the way down or all the way up. You don't have flexibility. Mm-hmm. I mean, she hit it. She nailed it, you know? And it was like, yes, I'm either completely vulnerable or I'm shutting everybody out. So explain what walls are and why they are important for us to knock down. Even when we're thinking about walls in terms of boundaries, that's helpful for us to have a little bit more of like a creative metaphor is like, what are the different forms of boundaries? Yeah, walls are a form of boundary, but you mentioned earlier fence. I'm thinking line in the sand is technically a boundary, right? So think about those and how they might apply to the different boundary contexts that you have in your life. Now, walls, just like your therapist said, are firm, rigid, strong. They're all the way up there, right? So there's not a way, there's no porthole, there's no way to get through. So there is a really firm boundary there. Sometimes we need those walls. If our safety is at risk, if we're endangered, if survival is at risk, then yeah, that clear cut boundary, it might seem intense, it might seem strong, and that might be warranted, again, especially in times of safety. However, those are the extreme form of boundaries, and not every boundary needs to be that rigid. Actually, the opposite. A lot of boundaries need like these fine-tuned dials. There's so many different variables of, is this a boundary that I communicate verbally? Is this a boundary that we can collaborate on? Is this a personal boundary, more intrapersonal? Or is this a boundary that I have with someone else? There's so many different variables that we cover in the book that can help you decipher, well, walls are an extreme and they're needed, but what are all of these other options along the spectrum too that may be more befitting for the context and the potential people involved? Right. You know, and walls, walls hold in your emotions and block out everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you have walls, it's, it's really not healthy. And often the pain that you're holding back, the experiences that you're holding back are going to leak through in other ways. So if you're not looking at them, um, it may not affect you, your mind or the way that you think, but it will affect your body. It's going to affect something. So it's important to know what's behind those walls. Absolutely. And you're also bringing up a really wonderful point of, you know, whether it's a wall or any other option along the spectrum, all boundaries have their pro and con. And it's about seeing that fit is knowing that, okay, this means that I'm letting people in. I know that I choose to still let people in to a certain degree versus having this firm wall up. It's making that empowered choice to know that this degree of the boundary is what I need right now in this moment. And that serves me. The wall aspect, it really gives me this notion of a lot of people who are starting therapy and they are so disconnected from their emotions because they've essentially built walls up 
around their emotions, right? They learned somewhere something happened that didn't feel good. So I'm just going to shut myself off from my emotions. And this is a really great example is the wall means that even when I'm trying to help in, you know, in a counseling office and trying to get in and they're saying, come in, it's where's the door to three to your wall, right? The habit, that old habit dies hard and now I can't get in. So it's knowing the consequence in addition to the benefits for the boundary we choose. Well said, thank you, thank you. So then you go into the initial reception of your boundaries, warm, tepid, cold, delayed. And I just want to point out that a lot of people who are watching this are dealing or have dealt with narcissistic abusers, which means that they will not tolerate boundaries. If they can't cross the boundaries, they don't want you in their life because you can't serve their purpose. So let's talk about the initial reception and uh, because people are often afraid of that. Yeah. And I appreciate the the clarification because I think that gives us the opportunity to look at these different degrees of warmth and temperature in the form of narcissistic abuse, because yes, you're right. A narcissistic abuser will not want the boundary at all. And they'll have some aversion to that, but the response can still be all of these. So a warm response could seem like, of course, of course I will. Uh, yeah. So well, don't, don't be silly. Of course I'm going to abide by this given thing. So it, it might seem really warm. There's tepid of, you could see the leak of hesitance, but they know I'm not going to come in directly and say no to this boundary. So it might seem mixed. Delayed, in my experience, and I'm curious to hear about your view of this, that is really common for narcissistic abusers, but also just personality disorders in general, because they respond in a very clear, clear way at first at face value. And then when they have time and come back around, all of a sudden there's this second hand. So you might seem warm at first, and then all of a sudden, wait, you told me you understood this boundary that I didn't want to be spoken to this way, touched to this, touched this way, whatever. And now all of a sudden the tables have fully turned. So all of those are possible with narcissistic personality disorder. But I'm I'm curious which ones you think is the more common fit. Um, You know, I think that I've heard all of them. Mm -hmm. The question that I get is, well, I set boundaries. I told them what, you know, what I don't want them to do and they just do it. So what's the purpose of the boundary? So Mm. to me, when you're dealing with an abuser, a boundary does not work unless there's a consequence for crossing it. Mm. There, it must... <clears throat> they must have a reason for complying. Sure. Um, and this is not the, sa- the same with every relationship that you have, but anyone who does not want a boundary, um, the only way to set it is to let them know what will happen should they cross it. And I always tell people, um, start off with your consequences very mild because you're this is a beginning thing and you're not going to want to do something like cut them off right away. So, you know, uh, you won't hear from me for two days or whatever you do, begin right. a soft thing. Um, and I think ultimately uh, people like that will push 
through your boundary eventually. Mm-hmm. It's very hard to hold them up. And, you know, it's only good to do it if you are in a situation where you're um, like in a marriage and you can't get away yet, mm-hmm. a situation where you're stuck. Mm-hmm. This is where you have to do it. But it, it takes a lot of effort with these people. So um, often they'll say, you know, it'll be tepid, I think, is the most common one. It would be like, oh, okay. You know, something like that. Oh, okay. With, without really like, and you don't know what they're thinking. You know? yeah. So that's a pretty common one. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Because in my experience, while I don't specialize in narcissistic personality disorder, I have had a lot because I do specialize in trauma. So I have had a lot of people who have had interactions and have faced trauma from narcissistic abuse. So in my perception of it, all of those have been how, um, you know, individuals with narcissistic personality disorder have responded to boundaries. So right, right. I appreciate hearing your view. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So um, you say when we're in a vulnerable state, we may have a heightened, heightened re- response to boundary infraction and can be more likely to perceive infractions as strong violations. Um, and versus when we have well-designed boundaries and are in equilibrium, we won't not, you know, it's not that we won't be immune to the pressures of the infraction, but we're not going to be thrown off by it. So speak to that. So if I think about it, especially within the realm of narcissistic abuse, is most people who are enduring narcissistic abuse have been enduring that for a longer time span. So it then starts to infuse and internalize into your own mind frame and not just that dynamic relationship, but it leaks. So with that is you're already in a dysregulated state because you have that dynamic that's now leaking into other areas. So you might have, you mentioned like the tepid response. You might want to set a boundary somewhere else, but you might be hesitant thinking, well, when I usually set this boundary, it usually causes a little bit of a pushback and a tepid reaction, and it's hard to set the boundary. So it might cause you to be more vigilant about that process because you're already dysregulated from the chronic abuse. True. It's true. It's true. People, people say to me, boundaries are mean. Hmm. <laughs> I said, no, look around you, look around <laughs> you because everybody does it. Yeah. And the only people that are going to think it's mean are the ones who have a nefarious agenda with you. So, you know. But societally, like you were giving a really great example of, you know, back in the day, that therapist, when they were giving you that, it wasn't a buzzword back then. I do think we are talking about boundaries more, which is a good thing. But historically, I think boundaries have been looked as like the anti-relationship, right? Like, mm-hmm. oh, I know I didn't discuss boundaries with my fiance because it's obvious. It means don't cheat on me and don't lie to me, right? Like, well, we would like to think it's obvious, but what does cheating look like? What does cheating look like in our modern day with technology? Like, what are we counting as cheating? That's true. There, there is a conversation that needs to be had. And we always make these presumptions of like, the boundary is going to, you mentioned the wall, create a wall between me and someone. It's going to create a wall between me and my partner, me and my child, me and my parent, me and my business partner, what have you. So we tend to shy away from it, but I really firmly believe that boundaries can also be a portal. They can be a bridge to better connect a healthy relationship too. 
I agree with you 100 percent because the the ones that are in my healthy relationships work beautifully with ease right it almost seems unbelievable when you start to work on that process and to think that you can have a boundary and have it so well received there's a refreshing aspect of that that's validation like no other Mm -hmm. you know so I'm glad that you've had that experience and that you agree I've had both, you know, I've had both experiences and um, yeah, you don't really, you know, with healthy boundaries, uh, you know, there's no sort of quote unquote threat that you have to attach to them because, you know, you don't need to do that with healthy minded people. But when you're with uh, personality disordered individuals, sure, they, if they can't have full access to you, they just don't want to deal with you. that's the whole purpose to be able to infiltrate your psyche and that's one of the main reasons why in this book i talk about two level three technically but the two that pertain to our conversation are the intrapersonal level boundaries and the interpersonal level boundaries okay so coming back to self-love it's important for us to have that autonomous reflection of what are our boundaries? So if we were to, you know, not be thinking about anyone else for a moment is what are our boundaries? What are our boundaries for how we live throughout the day, right? Like what we eat and don't eat, what we say and don't say, how we behave and don't behave. What are our personal level boundaries that helps keep us aligned and respectful to ourselves, first of all? Right, okay. And then the interpersonal boundaries, theoretically, should be built on this foundation, but also we don't want to fall into the trap of the narcissistic abuse and also believe things like that. We want to, in healthy relationships, collaborate when possible is these are my personal boundaries. What are your personal boundaries? How do we respect one another and knowing that we are different, but how, where are our bridges that we can create in terms of narcissistic abuse? That's unlikely to have a collaboration and it's more important to have those walls in times other than others. And I really like your method of like start mild first and then progress as you need. Mm -hmm. But I share this because it's almost guaranteed that you're going to have a poor response of any given boundary. Mm -hmm. And in that people get really disheartened and crestfallen about the overall boundary process. Right. Mm -hmm. And that makes sense because it is hurtful because here's a personal thing that you now expose and was now swatted away, right? So that makes perfect sense and is valid. And from the angle of self-love, it gives us an opportunity to come back to myself and say, okay, they didn't honor this version of this boundary, but how can I still honor it? Because I need to be healed in how they have swatted away and totally disrespected this boundary. So hypothetically, a quick example I could give you is that a lot of times people realize they don't want to be talked to a certain way, right? No one wants to be disrespected, condescended, et cetera, right? right. So you might set some sort of boundary as please don't use that type of language with me or don't call me these names or something like that, right? And if though you are kind, the kind of person who uses like self-degradation and condescending humor and all of these things and you're gonna be like, yeah, well, I'm the worst and you might think you don't mean it, but if you are asking for this interpersonal boundary, it gets swatted away and you come back and you are doing the same type of disrespect to you 
there's now this double harm that did not have to be. Whereas in facing that disrespect interpersonally, you have the opportunity to come back to yourself and reaffirm your foundation, heal through that as well. I know I'm strong. I know I'm capable. I know I'm grounded. Right. That's true. I like that. Um, when you set a boundary with a narcissist, if you say you don't want something, they will do it. It's, it's basically a, <laughs> it's like, do this, you know, I don't want you to hurt me. Oh, okay, now I'm going to really hurt you. I don't want you to cheat. Oh, now I'm going to cheat. You know, it's, it's like, it's the opposite. It's opposite world um, with them. Um, so it's important, I think, when you're setting a boundary that you say what you do will not tolerate. Mm -hmm. You know, I will no longer tolerate blah, blah, blah. Um, you're not saying don't do it. Right. Because if you say don't do it, it's going to come right at you. So, um, so yeah, it, it's about speaking about what is tolerable to you and what is not tolerable to you. Sometimes, you know, people say, well, I wouldn't even know where to start. I said, well, sit down and write all the things that have hurt you. What has felt wrong in this relationship? What feels wrong to you? Because this is where you start. Sure. Um, so. I think that that's, that is really helpful. I think that's a really important way to think about it. And when I hear your language of that, you know, I will or will not tolerate, you know, fill in the blank, that is a personal boundary, right? So, you know, if you know your boundary is going to be swatted, like it's a guarantee, you're almost giving them the code to set this boundary off, then come back to the personal boundary that I will not tolerate is the personal boundary. I will not tolerate this form of disrespect. And holding yourself accountable to that, right? So yes. it's not just words, right? That again is the personal version of the boundary, not just saying this and then not following through. Okay, I get it. Now I understand. That's that's exactly right. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. Yeah, and it can be empowering. I think about people who are enduring narcissistic abuse. Gosh, what a disempowering experience and confusing because for a long time, you likely don't even realize that you're giving taking your powers being taken away. And then some ways you're giving it away over time because there's such a mind warp. So when you start to do that, it can seem highly disempowering, but in this version of boundary setting, there's the opportunity to reconnect to the power that you may have lost in the process. That's beautiful. So important. Yeah. You say you cannot ethically hold others to a higher standard than you're willing to demonstrate for yourself. So true. Yeah. So true. And that's the example that I give you with like the, the verbal remarks. Like say you don't want anyone to make any comments about what you choose to wear, but then you're making comments about what you choose to wear. And it's unkind, judgmental and critical or self-defamatory. So that's right hypocritical it is and and even if you leave uh, a narcissistic abuser you then take you carry the abuse and you begin to do it to yourself so the one of the first things that i have people do after i meet them for the first time is i have them begin to write down what they're saying to to themselves because they have no idea what they're saying to themselves sure. and i'm like you are brutal i, I don't even know you <laughs> But I know you are brutal when it comes to hurting yourself. So you need to begin to think about what you're saying. 
Um, Perfect. You, you brought that up. I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah. Self-talk is really important because we think, first of all, you're absolutely right. When I ask people about self-talk and inner dialogue, <laughs> like, what do you mean? Like, I'm not talking to myself. Like we have some like really stigmatized views of what that is, but most people do have a running dialogue in their minds. And it's really empowering to reflect on what is going on in there. And you are so right. In my experience as a clinician, I've experienced a lot of people who have left narcissistic abuse obviously have the trauma of that abuse and then don't even realize that that uh, voice is rolling tape in their head over and over. And it sounds like they're, they think, oh, it, that's my thought, that's but it's true. actually this abuser's thought that has been implanted. And that is actually a really helpful opportunity for a personal boundary when you catch it is to pay attention to when I have my autonomous self-talk and when it's influenced by my past abuser. That's great. What a great point. Mm. Yeah, I like that. That's very helpful. Yeah, a nice practical way to reflect. I will give a little bit of disclaimer. If you have not been looking at your self-talk or listening to your self-talk and you start to do it, and especially if you try this prompt, that's a big one to start in on. You, it might get overwhelming to realize, well, where even is my voice? Mm -hmm. you know? So to just pace yourself in that is, especially if you've had a chronic experience of narcissistic abuse, it's hard at first to really find your voice again. You're but right. You're it's right. A worthwhile, mm -hmm. It's a worthwhile excavation. Yeah. So. Mm -hmm. People usually come back with one. Mm. <laughs> yeah. They're like, I'm like, did you, did you think about this? Just yeah. pay attention. Sure. Well, I didn't, but all right, well, there's one. <laughs> so, <laughs> I guess it's a good place to start. We'll start with that one. Yeah. <laughs> we'll start uh, with that one. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. that, that phrasing of start with one, I was thinking about something you mentioned a little bit earlier. So I'm backtracking. You mentioned like where people start when they don't know where to start with boundaries. And you say, well, what has hurt you? And I do think that's really helpful. And just like how I mentioned, it can get really overwhelming to do this work. And that's why I'm not a big silver lining person, but I am a strength-based person. And also knowing the opposite of, okay, can we sit with what you would like? Like, how would you like, you know, especially when you're leave, when you've left the relationship mm -hmm. and now you're sitting with newfound boundaries for yourself and other people is, what, what do you want? What are you worthy of? What are you deserving of? What, how would you like conversations to be had? How would, how would you like people to behave around you? That's another way to use the opposite end of the spectrum. And you can extricate from there. I think knowing what has wronged you and like, these are your definite firm. These might be areas that maybe weren't walls. And these are also things that I want to build boundaries to protect these things. Cause I want respect. I want love. I want ease of communication. I want peace. So what kind of boundaries can we build to right. these things? Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Even if, you know, even if you, you then question it, well, can that be real? Can I really have that? Because look what happened. Don't worry about that. Sure, just just sure. don't let those negative thoughts pop in and just say, if I could dream, Yes. This is what I would do. I love the prompt of if I could dream, because you're right, that negative thought process, that inner critic, that inner narcissistic abuser who's implanted in your brain might have a lot of doubt, but it's just give yourself the space to just let all of that go. And what would you like? What are you worthy of? What are you deserving of? Just as you are. That's great. Yeah. 
Um, so then you get into finding the line and um, you say in order to appropriately discern when a boundary has been breached, you must qualify what counts as an infraction. Mm -hmm. Where's the line between what's permitted and what's discouraged? Yeah. And this is why I really love the phrasing that you shared earlier and the note that we both made about it. it's actually a personal boundary at the end of the day when it comes to a narcissist abuser, because it's not some for other people. It could be I don't like when you speak to me in a rude way. Some for other people, that isn't that could be enough. Right. Mm -hmm. Oh, rude. Like I was being rude. Now I have the self-awareness and the vulnerability and the humility that reflect and I, I can handle that enough for other people that is possible. But in this context, it already starts with the I will not tolerate. So important to think about if you're using the designing healthy boundaries journey, when you're thinking about narcissistic abusers, that knowing the infraction is a really big point because that infraction needs to be part of what's communicated in the boundary, right? Like the, the first infraction would be if you called me at this time, whatever it is, right? So I will not have you call me after 9 p.m. It's not acceptable then that is the infraction. So being clear in that way. And again, that's your personal boundary too. Right. Boundary and infraction are kind of all in one for that. I like the distinction mm -hmm. between the internal yeah. and the external. Yeah. Um, and so then... Um, he say, we wouldn't expect them to knock at their own front door, but if we take a step further and clear, clarify whether we're discussing the front door versus, say, a bedroom door or a bathroom door, the line may shift as well. You're talking about, you know, um, yeah, and these it's circumstantial. Yeah. So the example that I paint in that book and just generally is, you know, if you're saying like, don't come through the door, right. And there's a misunderstanding of like, okay, yeah, I'm not coming through the door. Someone walks in through, through your front door because they're thinking, yeah, well, I mean, I've done this so many times that you mean the bedroom door, right? Like I can come through the front door. So that could be just an, an area of miscommunication that, you know, I, I know that's overwhelming sometimes of how specific do I have to be at the, about the boundary? When we're not thinking about narcissistic abusers, sometimes it's, oh, whoops, like I was, I didn't even think to say which door and you meant well, and he, it didn't even occur to you why it would be the front door. So like, oh, I see that. No, no harm, no foul, right? Like we both meant well and that, uh, but when we're talking about a narcissistic abuser, it's any door, right? Like there is that. <laughs> so there is, and I, and I, I laugh only because of like how wild that is compared to some healthier boundaries. We're not making a collaborative boundary with someone who has, who is narcissistic. We are not making a collaborative boundary there because that option is not available. It's not, it's not right. Um, so then uh, you go into addressing them. I think we talked about addressing boundary infraction. We just did that, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so the next one is revisiting your boundaries helps to keep them maintained and effective. Consider it like an oil change for your vehicle, a standard important task that ensures everything is functioning smoothly. It's maintenance that's too important to neglect. 
Yes. And this takes us all the way back to the beginning of our conversation mm -hmm. when we're talking about perfection, right? The idea of perfection in boundaries would be, I have some sort of magical car that needs no gas, no oil change, no tune-ups, and will somehow last me for the rest of my <laughs> life, right? Like, And I, I'm glad you laugh at that because when we think about it that mm -hmm. way, we're like, well, that's so silly. That's bizarre. But in my experience working with people through boundaries, it becomes so all or nothing that they're willing to set one one time that better work and they hang their hat on that. And when we think about it more of like things that are going to last us a lifetime need maintenance, right? Like I don't know, an AC unit, a car, our own bodies, right? So right. Oh, yeah. that's the thought about these boundaries is that the reality is, while some boundaries may be very specific to a certain context, most boundaries, especially our personal boundaries, need to evolve with us as time goes on. So creating more of a cyclical aspect of boundary design is much more freeing because it helps you to take in information from infractions. It helps you take in information from times you felt confident setting a boundary, times it was received well. And over time, that, that process becomes better, right? So like, so think about the oil change process. Vehicles over time have also like, I remember like I used to have to go, like definitely needed an oil change often. And now my car is like, ah, you can come in a few years. <laughs> Things change, right? So if I were so focused on that process, I would be, you know, I wouldn't be, I'd be missing the mark. It's true. And there, there's different, we set boundaries in different ways in different places. So, you know, what you, the boundaries you set in your workplace may not be the boundaries you set with a partner or love or somebody that you're having a re relationship with or a spouse. Um, and that's not the same as the boundaries you may set with your family. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's one of the aspects in the book is there are these personal boundaries, but the personal boundaries inform the boundaries we set in these different contexts with different people. Hmm. So I know sometimes when we sit with that, we think of everyone, we know, like that seems overwhelming. Like, well, these are all these boundaries, but in healthy relationships, there are sets of boundaries, right? Like generally, this is how I am in my workspace. This is how I am with my neighbors. This is how I am with my children. This is how I am with my ex or any of my exes, right? Like these are my general boundaries. That's possible in healthy relationships. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, you know, it, boundaries evolve with maturity and age, um, life circumstances. So yeah, it's very important. I agree with you to that that we have to reevaluate that if something isn't working for us, we need to make a little tweak, an adjustment in that. Absolutely. And, you know, they do generally progress, evolve, mature, and then circumstances happen that we have them knocked over and we have to rebuild. I think about safety is a really great example. You know, you might have, we were using the example of the front door, like, which door coming through the front door, coming through the back door. But if someone's rolling up and they see smoke coming out of one of your windows, it is not a context <laughs> for stay outside and wait for me to come in, you know, come to the door. Type <laughs> right. So that's right. That's right. Good point. The next one is emergencies. I like this one and I really want to talk about it. Okay. 
because what happens with a lot of my clients is they'll get to a place where they're good. Yeah. Figured out how to do this. Mm -hmm. And then there's a death in the family. There's an injury in the family. Something happens and they have no idea what to do. So let's talk about that. Yeah. That is one of the other reasons why I find personal boundaries to be so important because essentially they are the code to your boundaries at large. When things really get shaken, things go bad and we feel unsafe or we're really overwhelmed and going through much and are dysregulated, we have the bare minimum and those are our core code of my personal boundaries at the end of the day, right? So we don't want to add on to dysregulation by now saying all of these boundaries, interpersonal or personal are all out the door. That's only going to make things worse. Um, It's also important to recognize that in these emergencies, we still do need to set boundaries sometimes too. So that's why I'm a big fan of a proactive reflection process with boundaries, because you already have an idea of what type of boundary might I need in a case that there's a car accident or I'm hospitalized. You might have that hypothetical running and you have something to grab. And that's another way that you could be self-loving is Oh, I already know in a case of an emergency that this is the type of boundary. This is who I reach out to. This is what I say, what I do that can be helpful. The last thing I would mention about emergencies, though, is that sometimes we have to build quick boundaries because of the emergency. Once again, going back to perfectionism, we're not holding like that needs to be the best boundary and it's the one and done process. It's I'm so glad I was able to scaffold this quick thing here and Jimmy rig it to work and protect myself in this context. But now that I'm regulated, I am safe. I'm going to revisit this boundary because I know I built it out of like tape and sticks and I'm glad I did it. Right. I took care of myself and that's not going to last me. So I'm going to revisit this and see how can I pull this down and create something a little bit sturdier. Right. There's a term called hoovering that narcissists use and they emergencies are the perfect time to swoop right back in after sure. they've been away or like for a parent that you've gone no contact with to tell you about a death in the family or something like that. They swoop right back in and then all of a sudden they're there again yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. after you've really succeeded in moving forward in your life. And this throws people a lot. Um, um, what they say, you know, what exactly are my obligations in this? And I say the same as they ever were. Yes, absolutely. You mentioned like sometimes people are doing well and there's like this grace period. And I think, again, aligned with the notion of perfection is not possible is also lots of things are temporary. So if most things, maybe everything, right, is temporary. So knowing that if this is going well right now and it seems like I'm safe and this boundary is working right now, I'm appreciative that I built the boundary and then it's working right now. It does not have to mean this boundary will always work forever. It still means that an infraction can happen. So I'm still keeping it firm. I don't just take the wall down because no one has come down this way. I'm thinking about like my home right now. We're not going to take the fence down because we have no experience of a stranger walking into our yard, right? It's like, 
well, no one's ever walked past the fence. So maybe we just take the fence down, right? Like, <laughs> I don't think so. No, you can't just get comfortable and just let them relax. Um, right. but they have to be there. Right. Um, what, uh, what people have problems with is outside judgment yeah. and validation for what, that what they're doing is right yeah. and that people are going to judge them. So this is a big, big topic. I mean, yeah. this whole thing is, this needs, this kind of thing needs to be worked on independently, independent of this, because um, when you're setting a boundary, yeah. um, it cannot be flexible based on how how the wind blows or what this person says or what this person thinks you should do, right? Absolutely. And I wanna highlight that that's different from a collaborative boundary. A collaborative boundary is when in there is an opportunity that both parties or multiple people can be are healthy and can work together to co-create a boundary that works for everyone involved. An example I can think about is like, two parents creating the boundary for themselves and their minor children, right? Like, okay, that's a understandable collaborative boundary. So what we're talking about right now doesn't necessarily pertain to that. Okay. So it is important to think about the areas in which that, okay, so how, if my boundary is my boundary and it's firm, how, and I'm not collaborating, what does that mean if someone is making an infraction, all of that, does it mean that it's, they're perceiving me as disrespectful, rude, mean, mean. These are words we already use today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, boundaries still get a bad rap. We've come a far away. <laughs> we really have. It absolutely is a buzzword. And that's what made me want to write about it because it's a buzzword, yet we still don't know what to do with it. You're right. <laughs> so, so we are at that brink, right? And a lot of times with boundary work, we're just told what to do. Just say no, just excommunicate them, just let them out. And Sometimes that is what's needed, but they're never this simple, right? So if we were to get bogged down with how other people are receiving it, especially unhealthy people are receiving it, then we are now putting them before ourselves. And it's important to remember that boundary design is a process of health, right? So we're not just making it for fun or as a hobby, it's to keep ourselves safe and well. So when we think about that, it's not that we wish any harm onto someone. It's not that we want to be seen as mean or disrespectful or careless, not at all. And, but we need to know, well, how am I being caring, considerate, at least to myself first? And then if we have reserves, then I, yes, of course, try to consider other people, but once again, in the case of a narcissistic abuser, there's no being considered there. It's it's going to go in one ear out the other. Yeah, so it's, it's not a long term solution to anything. Right. Um, right. Right. And another thing I've noticed um, that when people finally get this and they start to put boundaries in place, personal boundaries in place about their life, they say, "I feel so bitchy. I feel so mean. I feel so extreme." I find, and you can tell me what your perspective is on this, I find that sometimes we have to swing a little farther, you know, a little farther the other way um, when it doesn't feel comfortable. And sometimes we may be a little more rigid as we start this and that it, be, it gets more flexible as you go. Absolutely. Two things I'll say to that. First, 
again, coming back to the notion of safety, if safety is concerned and you're in danger, you have to build that wall, right? So the wall can come down when you know you're safe and you can use a fence at that time. Right. But yeah, we have to be more rigid when we're endangered. So there's that to begin with. Also, just the way the brain works in terms of familiarity, not only does society not really support boundaries or historically has not supported boundaries. So we already think that boundaries are mean and cruel and disrespectful and unloving all of that, which becomes internalized in ourselves, but then we don't create the habit of creating boundaries. So when we start to create the boundary, it feels unfamiliar unfamiliar starts to dysregulate our nervous system telling us that this is dangerous this is intimidating don't do this warning warning (laughs) but our minds know oh this is actually the healthy thing i need to do but our bodies are like this is so unfamiliar what am i doing what am i doing i'm acting like this person so now i'm being mean so something to know that just because something feels familiar and we might then think it's normal doesn't mean it's healthy. So there might be something that is, this is totally breaking out of my, I'm, I'm speaking, I'm speaking loudly. I'm speaking clear. Like that is so not who I have been for most of my life, mm-hmm. but I recognize I need that right now. So even though my body's saying this is odd, yeah, it is. You're doing something new for the first time. And for many people, decades, right? right. So Give yourself that and acknowledge it is unfamiliar. It does feel a little odd. There is some anxiety there, but if you tap into that, you can also get this really special reserve of excitement of like, whoa, look at me. This feels (laughs) odd because I have never stood up for myself Mm -hmm. like this before. And I'm doing it. Like, listen to me. I can hear me saying these words. I am doing what I need to do to take care of myself. And there's a really empowering process that can be tapped into. It is. I mean, the first time people really do this and it, and they are successful at it, it, it feeds this empowerment and it, yeah. that just grows exponentially. You know, yeah. it's like that first step where you go, I didn't think I could do this. Look, I did it. Like you just said, that's, that's such a good point. Yep. It's absolutely. very empowering. It is. And you know, and it just because we know we need it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Just because we know it can be empowering doesn't mean that it's going to be without challenge, but doing it in face of that challenge, right? Like mm-hmm. it's harder for me to get out of this home to excommunicate. Like that is hard. That's hard work, but I can do it and I need to do it to keep myself safe. Like that is, there's some deep power in that for sure. Right. Exactly. And as far as boundaries with other people, people usually like to start with maybe strangers, situations with strangers, something where they're not invested in the relationship and they test it on, you know, maybe somebody that you hang out with at the gym or that's, you know, that's been saying things or whatever. These relationships are a lot easier to begin with, uh, to, to get that muscle built, you know, so that you say, oh, it does work. That works great. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I think that so that's what in the book we refer to more as like peripheral boundaries is that there's less lost if it doesn't work. So it's easier to try to practice. There takes maybe even takes less effort. Um, earlier we were talking about support and I had mentioned professional help and that's a really important dynamic is setting boundaries even with your provider. So there may be something that's said a certain way or a topic you don't want to talk about or maybe even just not today mm-hmm. and that 
having a safe space and the rapport with a provider to be able to set a boundary in that space and then be able to process it and talk about it too. That's also a really helpful space to start with. Mm -hmm. I agree with you. I like when people assert boundaries with me. Um, You know, I I don't take it personally. I just, um, I think, okay, you know, you, this is okay. We're going to respect these. Um, And maybe at some point you won't have them anymore, but for now you don't trust me. You don't know me. And um, maybe you have to be a little more tough with, you know, what you're going to allow me to do or say. with you in terms of the the appreciation I know we've both echoed throughout our time together this notion of people who are regulated and healthy will likely receive a boundary well right could it trigger us and be like oh I didn't I didn't oh you need time away from me okay I didn't realize that it could trigger us sure but it we're not going to you know um, people who are regulated will receive a boundary well and with that it makes me think about within the last year I've started saying to people who have set boundaries with me or shared their boundaries with me as you know thank you for sharing that thank you for giving me the information so I could be a better friend I appreciate you telling me that so I can better care for you respect you etc and I've seen how that is such an empowering thing is like whoa, I just set a boundary and someone thanked me for it. Like that is, that can be really curative too. So if you can, if you have that opportunity to be on that other end too, and receive boundaries warmly and take a moment and integrate them, that's really powering. I'm going to do that. Yeah. 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 That's a great, great idea. It's, it's so, it's important to do that. And that's, that's how I will respond in the future. So if you're listening and you're going to work with me and you set a boundary, I'm going to thank you for it. Just don't, be, don't be ridiculous. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, let me do my work, but you yes. know, but yeah. Okay. okay. Then we move on to self-forgiveness. Oh, this is such a tough one. Why is this so hard? <laughs> Why isn't it hard? I mean, like, hey, there's so, it's so, so hard on many levels. And in the beginning of the book, I actually go through some obstacles to designing healthy boundaries. And a lot of it kind of ties back into that of if we have past trauma, right? And I think about for narcissistic abuse, unfortunately, I've worked with a lot of clients who experience multiple individuals who are narcissistic because it, again, our brain knows what's familiar. So that pattern just fits in like a puzzle piece. And so there's that is it's hard to forgive because I went through this not only one time, but multiple times, but with multiple people, right? So there's, there's trauma in that. Anytime that there's trauma, it's much harder. Anytime we go against our personal boundary, I found it's particularly hard. So for example, if we spend the time to create and learn our personal boundaries and someone goes against our interpersonal boundary, And we don't do the coming back to healing to reintegrate that personal boundary. It feels like we're cheating ourselves. We're being disrespectful to ourselves. So that self-forgiveness is I'm not only forgiving myself for this boundary mishap, but also like I knew this boundary. Like ah, it was partially this person, but it's also me who stood in my own way. Mm -hmm. And that is a really tough pill to swallow sometimes. It is. And that's where self-forgiveness comes in. Yeah, because the lack of forgiveness, specifically self-forgiveness, will keep you stuck in that repeat loop. So even if you know, I don't want this anymore, I don't tolerate this anymore, I don't want to tolerate this anymore, 
it will still keep you cycling back. And that, those like negative voices, whether they're from your abuser or whether they've been come internalized and they're your own, will repeat over and over. It's absolutely true. Good point. Yeah. So then we come down to acceptance and letting go, you know, and, and um, I know how that would apply in the work that I do, but how does it apply in general? So, you know, I see, so especially because we just talked about self-forgiveness, acceptance, letting go, kind of like the conduit to that, right? So we know many times we want to accept and let go, but without that self-forgiveness aspect, we don't end up accepting and then we don't genuinely let go. If anything, it become a little bit, it can become minimized. We can avoid it. We can dismiss it. We can suppress it. But then it warrants coming back up or even when we're not trying to have it come back up, it kind of like magnets when we see related situations, our brain makes the association and then we're triggered over time. So a lot of times when we're setting firm boundaries, especially interpersonally, we think that, okay, we've, we've done it, we've let go. But it is the acceptance and the self-forgiveness aspects of it that help you really excavate. Like, okay, not only did I let go, if if you're no longer quote unquote in my home, then that means I need to take the things of yours out of my home, right? It's like that deeper cleaning. I'm gonna, I'm gonna deep clean the place. I'm gonna sage the place. You know, all these things of I'm going to get this energy out. That's the parallel for accepting and you know the self forgiveness too, in order to let go. I think it's important um, to note that we never want to set boundaries to try to change something we don't like about somebody else right no we, that's manipulation right that is manipulation <laughs> we want to set them because it feels better to us to do this we're taking care of us but boundaries will not change anybody yeah and i do think that that thought process comes from such a misunderstanding about what boundaries are. It is mm -hmm. like, well, I need you to do this. And sometimes it might seem like that. I do need you to do this, but, but what does that mean about us? And, and that's just, again, it comes back to why I wanted to write this as I think that a lot of times when we see, we need boundaries, it feels so disempowering because it's about what we need to separate ourselves and protect ourselves from other people. Mm -hmm. But also the boundary design process is an opportunity for us to better understand who we are, what we need, what our limits are, how we can keep ourselves safe and healthy. And that is so different from just an antagonistic, I'm going to set this and keep you away form of, you know, more defense mode boundaries. Mm -hmm. Boundaries can be built with love. And they should be. Yeah. A healthy one can be right. Like what right. We are worthy of that. And in, and when they can't be, then that means that it's a really unhealthy relationship that needs a firm wall. Yes, absolutely. That's a good guideline. Mm -hmm. So tell us about the workbook and how, um, how it's designed to be used. So, I mean, the key is even in the name, right? The fact that it's a workbook. I, when I was struggling with my own boundaries, personally, professionally, and then helping others too. I just realized that there's a lot of really helpful boundary thoughts out there, but the practicality was missing. And I think 
I don't know. I don't do well when people are like, this is what you need to do. Just do it. And that there's no attachment to, well, why is this beneficial for me? Mm-hmm. And what does this connect to? And how do you know this works for me? Is it just because it worked for you? That deeper excavation gives us like the attachment. It's the foundation. It's a sturdy foundation. And knowing that everyone's boundaries are different. We have some similar ones, sure. But my boundaries look different from yours, Randy. And that doesn't mean that yours are unhealthy or mine are less healthy. It just means that we're different people. So we have different boundaries. So I really wanted to create something that lets people explore different aspects of boundary creation. So there are different aspects in this book that can help depending on where everyone is in their boundary setting journey, but it is created to be more reflective and be more proactive, but also that cyclical process. So like we can do that big work in the beginning, but it's intended to revisit over time, refine over time. So this is kind of like your guidebook that you can keep with you once you purchase it theoretically till forever, because you'll keep needing boundaries till forever. And it can be really inspiring to look back at where you started with your boundary journey and see how far you've come to. That's true. That's true. It's a beautiful book. It's, it's laid out really nicely. And, um, I recommend all of you, if you, if you, if this is an issue for you, if boundaries are an issue for you, um, you definitely want to pick up a copy of this because it's really going to take you through the process of, of, you know, understanding this a little more, um, because Shana has, just taken this apart in a way that makes it so much easier to understand. Oh, I know I froze. Stop freezing. All right. Anyway, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna pretend. As long as you can hear me, it'll come yep, back. I can there hear it you. Is. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That never used to happen. Now it happens all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, uh, so you're in Central Florida. Are you working out of an office or? Yeah, I am. I'm seeing clients virtually. So I'm licensed in the state of Florida, so I can see anyone throughout the state. So I can see clients virtually, but I am seeing clients in an office setting as well. So I'm doing both traditional and virtual counseling. Okay. That's awesome. Um, And do you have a website? I do. So if anyone wants to find more information about my services or the other books as well, drshana.com. And if you're on Instagram, you can find me there at drshana. Okay. And Shana is S-H-A- I N N A. Yep. So the website would be D R S H A I N N A. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Thank you. So you think we covered it all? I, I think so. (laughs) (laughs) See what I told you? Is there any parting, parting messages or wisdom you'd like to share with us? You know, I just want to give some encouragement. I know I've mentioned it throughout our time, but Boundary design, so worth it and is very challenging, especially the first time you take it up, especially if you have had unhealthy boundaries set for you in the past, because if you're not setting them, someone's setting them for you. And especially if you've endured trauma and specifically narcissistic abuse. So with that being said, I think it's empowering for anyone to make the purchase and delve into the book, but also know pace yourself seek that support. It's not an easy journey, but it is worthwhile. So please be kind to yourself and loving to yourself in the process because you are deserving of healthy boundaries and healthy relationships, including that relationship with you. Thank you. It's yeah. yeah, um, 
sometimes we do these, you know, these reflections and we write them out, these exercises, and, um, and we think it's going to be over when we're done. It's not necessarily. Sometimes you need a little bit of encouragement from a professional that can help you just kind of answer those things, those peripheral questions that you're having or misunderstandings that you're having. So it's a great place to start. It really is. It's a beautiful book. I love it. Thank you so much. And I appreciate you normalizing the aspect of seeking support because the boundary book was created for anyone designing boundaries. And today we've been talking really specifically in our, about narcissistic abuse and anyone who's enduring narcissistic abuse or healing from narcissistic abuse, I anticipate they're going to have a lot of roadblocks in the process. So mm -hmm. I would like to normalize. Yeah. Also bring it in with your counselor. So, you know, we work I work in session with this book often, and that's the whole point is I, I want to be able to help people facilitate their personal reflection, but add that support. So if you're working with a supporter, if they're working with you, even work right. with the book too. We can yeah. work with the book. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sounds Thanks great. Thanks so much for having me, Randy. I really yeah, it's, it's really been fun. Um, yeah. yeah, it's a topic that's near and dear to my heart and um to a lot of my listeners so i this is so important like um i know that you had several books and i got you know to pick what i wanted to, you to represent and as soon as i saw boundary i'm like that's it yeah that's absolutely the, that's the topic we gotta go for so, absolutely and i'm glad you feel just as passionate as i do about boundaries i think it's really helpful when there's other people in the helping space that see how important it is because we can shed that light for people who may not realize that it's important for them absolutely thank you for the work you do thank you thank you mm -hmm. for your work and um have a beautiful day likewise bye bye, -bye. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.